have a lot of passion in what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard, and you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not happy with doing it, So welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. This episode's guest is Stephen Richards of Taproot and Scissors, if you are familiar with his uh, solo endeavors, and a man who both knows how to rock but always knows that a, a well-timed scissors uh, is always great in a game of rock, paper, scissors is Mr. Daniel Terry. How are you doing this this evening? Uh, pretty good, man. Uh, odds are always in my favor, right? That's two out of three. Ain't bad. Not usually, but uh, yeah, I'm doing good tonight, man. Um, I'm, I'm loving this autumn air uh, down here in St. Louis, man. Everything's been the perfect temperature for like the past week. So I'm walking around in short sleeves. It's like 50 degrees. Everybody's complaining, but I'm like, yes, this is, <laughs> if it was 50 degrees every day, all day, I mean, I'd be in heaven. Yeah, I, uh, it was funny. Bridget goes, uh it's too cold. I wasn't ready for winter. And I was like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck did you think was going to happen? Like, that's how seasons work. I love fall, man. I Like I said, I'm not crazy about winter, but fall is just a magical time. Everybody's drinking pumpkin beers and I don't know, like pumpkin beers and like apple, hot apple cider. I don't know. I just I love it. It's I pretty much listen to nothing but stuff like Opeth and November's Doom and stuff in the fall. October Rust. And, October rust. Yeah. 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 That's, that stuff is all like, there are certain, certain bands that I just feel, even if they don't have the word October in their name necessarily, I feel are just made for that month. Yeah. It's a, it's a good time. And, uh, it was kind of fun actually speaking of good times, getting to talk with, uh, Steven and I mean, Taproot, I think just broke the record for the longest B-sides collection. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness! Like, do you remember when they released that Nirvana box set a while back? Yeah, but it was like all the studio records and like a record of some B sides from each one. It wasn't like straight up here's eight discs worth of B sides. Oh no, it's all B sides. The uh, oh. the Nirvana one, the with the lights out compilation. Oh, okay. It's actually um, only three discs. Mm. It's like two discs full of B sides and then one disc that's a DVD of live stuff. And like you would think a band like Nirvana would have like. 18 trillion b-sides and they do and they're all on that collection but it's not eight discs i mean (laughs) my goodness and i'm wondering it it looks to me like this this taproot collection has a lot of the really old stuff like the pre-gift stuff yes yeah the way it appears to be broken down from the explanation i saw on the pre-order is it's like broken down into uh what was the first ep they did like plead the fifth yeah, it was like arrows. Yeah, so they have yeah. stuff from like then pre pre gift the writing sessions for gift that didn't end up making the record. B sides right. for every album obviously, plus stuff that they recorded for some of the records that didn't end up making it onto the record, like a, a song like uh Day Away that were actually recorded during the Blue Sky Research uh album recording but just didn't make it onto the record. For whatever reason, I actually uh, been jamming that song. Jared was kind enough, uh, Montague of Taproot, 
was kind enough to send me a couple of songs uh, to kind of give me an idea of what the record had and um, kind of be able to talk to Steven about it a little more in depth and just kind of like, oh, there's a collection of songs. Haven't heard any of it. <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, a lot of that stuff for the longest time was only you could only find it on YouTube. You know, if, if you can do that. Were... Yeah, and then there, like, there's like, well, like 400 versions of poem on there. Like, I almost feel like there's like a whole disc that's like almost all poem. <laughs> Well, that was kind of the fun thing, too, in, in talking with Steven, and not to give too much away, but, like, when he was saying that there was the, like, that riff yeah. was on a demo for something else, and then later became Poem, which, I mean, that's kind of the fun thing about getting, like, demos and B-side stuff, is to see sometimes where inspiration came to form another song. Yeah, yeah, and that that's cool piecing all that stuff together. It's kind of like, uh, and also Metallica's kind of been doing this as well, if you've noticed, whenever they've released, they've been re-releasing all their old albums. Yeah. And they're including, like, because I bought a copy of Master of Puppets the other day that had, like, four extra discs. Oh, shit. Like, one was, like, all the demo versions of the songs off Master of Puppets. Uh, I think one had some B-sides, then another one had, like, live versions, then it had, like, alternate versions, like, alternate takes mm -hmm. and stuff. And uh, bands are really starting to come around to the fact that fans of bands love that stuff. It always intrigued me to be like, man, like something you think you really like when you're like, oh, man, I really love the demo. Sometimes that's real. Like sometimes really you can be like the demo was so good because there's something about that spontaneity of catching lightning in a bottle kind of with a with a good song. And it's at its most bare. And it's really interesting to to see how a song can transform, especially once you get it all the way through the mixing and mastering of working in a good studio and so forth. And sometimes I think the, the more telling thing is when you break it all down, you don't have all this extra sheen on, on the songs. I think that's when it really showcases just how good a band is. And you know, out of the four songs that Jared had sent me, there's some stuff on, on some of the rough demos that they he had sent where I think the guitar tone is fucking monstrous. And it's it kind of reminds you like how powerful Taproot is even in a raw demo phase. Yeah, I mean, some of their really early stuff is super intense. Like, just from, uh, just, like, sonically, like, how much stuff is going on at once, because they were more, like, they were more rap-focused back then, which is weird to think about, because the taproot that we got in the mainstream was much more, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a little bit a little bit more smooth, a little bit more refined, which happens to every band. But, uh, yeah, hearing some of the demo versions, even some of these uh, smoother songs... Like, they're not as smooth in their original forms. <laughs> no, they're not. Yeah, that song... Uh, day by Day. Yeah, that song Day by Day is actually my favorite Taproot song, and it was a B-side. I'm sorry, it was a B-side. <laughs> and uh, it was only ever released on the Dracula 2000 soundtrack, and that's, like, the song that got me into Taproot. I remember actually being irritated when I got Gift that that song wasn't on there. And I was like, and I remember buying the album anyway, being like, I bet it's a hidden song. <laughs> Cause that was the thing I, then. Yeah. And no, it was not. And I was like, Oh, well, okay. So I remember I actually burned myself a copy of gift. And then I took the song from the Dracula 2000 soundtrack and just put it at the beginning of the album. So you had your own version. I did. People were probably so, like, what the fuck? Early playlists. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, speaking of early playlists, let's uh, go ahead and get into my conversation with Stephen Richards, Taproot, and we will talk to you guys afterwards.
So I have the pleasure this early afternoon of talking to Stephen Richards of Taproot, who are taking pre-orders right now for their B-Sides record, Cleverly Called Besides, uh, which you can take the pre-orders up until November 2nd uh, to ensure that you will get them by Christmas. How are you doing, Stephen? <laughs> What's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> I love my my clever my clever genius and the whole besides thing. You know, uh, Jared told me that you like talking in puns and inside jokes, and I was like, I think that's pretty apparent uh, with <laughs> with the B sides album cover name. Yeah, that's all me. Kind of stupid, but I'll go for it. Hey, you know, I think in this day and age where there's a lot of uh, you know, especially when it comes to a, a B sides and rarities kind of collection. I mean, shit, Deftones just literally called theirs B sides and rarities, and, and it is what it is. Right, right. But I mean, yeah. it is. And also, it's cool too, though, because like you know, it's kind of the songs that were kind of besides making the records, like a lot of that stuff. So it's kind of also meaningful as well as funny. You know, I got to say, um, you know, most people, <laughs> when they have a B-Sides record, it's only like, you know, it's like 12, maybe 15 songs, you know, unless a band's been around for, you know, like we'll say Leonard Skinner type band where you've got like 40, 50 years <laughs> worth of material. But I got to say, eight discs. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> right, right, right. We're not, at our age at this point, we're not too far behind Skinner. <laughs> we haven't done much lately, but we've been around for a long time. <laughs> You know, I kind of wanted to say, you know, what was the initial idea to, to release this album now? Uh, basically, a lot of demand. Like, a lot of people, um, you know, before we got signed to Atlantic Records, we'd sold, like, ten or 12,000 records on our own um, between three different sets of, uh, you know, CDs that we burned at University of Michigan on our own and then just, you know, shipped them out with a fake cover. <laughs> so we we've been we've been asked to kind of release those songs like a lot of the people you know you can find a, a lot of it online and stuff but um a lot of people kind of want those physical songs and stuff so that was kind of the reason behind it and then we were like well shit you know steve's got so many fucking songs that he wrote down in the basement with let's include that like <laughs> so you'll get to hear the most embarrassing uh scratch track stuff that i did in the uh, in the basement on my own and or with mike and then you'll hear the the good stuff that we just didn't have room to make on a record you know it was kind of funny in looking at a lot of the i haven't obviously heard all eight discs worth i was only sent a handful of songs uh earlier today but you know what's kind of interesting to me is you know i know like a song um I think it was uh, Except I Love You ultimately, you know, became something later on. And I always think that's kind of right. the fun thing about bands doing demos and, and kind of hearing songs from their inception to if you're lucky enough to hear the actually the progression along the way from, you know, first mix, second mix, mastered, right. so on and so forth. Yep. You know, you can see songs change. You can see lyrics change, see where maybe lyrics came from something else uh, as placeholders and so forth. And I've always kind of thought that was really interesting, and and you know I think that's a, a interesting thing about this whole collection that I'm I'm looking forward to diving into is seeing you know if there's anything else like that you know except I love you where it became something else that we know as Taproot fans. Right, right, yeah. There's I'm sure there's quite a few. Honestly, I don't even know all the songs that are on there myself. It's been such a long time. Um, like some of them are even untitled and just stuff. Like I said, I was just doing it in my basement trying to turn into something so i'm not exactly sure what's all on there myself 
but I'm sure there's a couple that kind of evolved into something else. Um, if there's a song, hopefully there's a song called 11 months. Um, it just literally had the, uh, doing in it, the doing in it turn <laughs> from poem. And I literally just used that to turn into poem. I wrote the rest of the song five minutes on the back of the bus and on Ozfest. And it was so quick and good that we ended up starting to play it at the end of Ozfest live. Um, and people dug it, so we went for it. What are some of the other examples that you can recall of of uh, maybe some other songs that you've recorded that you know are big, like you know maybe a song like mine or something like that? Where is there another example of where a piece came from something else that later on became you know on a, a another record? Um, well, the song "Mine" is actually one of the few, um, one of the very few songs that like we kind of wrote while making the record and pre-production, like while we were, you know, playing over and over and over again the songs that we knew were going to be on the record. But that one was actually one that the guys wrote without me, which you know isn't very common at all. So that was actually I wrote the lyrics about that song. Like, you know, I wanted to make that mine. Like so that's where I came, I came up with that idea. Like, cause you know, when I heard it, I was like, wow, good job guys. Like that's fucking sick. So I wrote the lyrics about, you know, like you captured me. <laughs> you know, something that I thought was pretty interesting. And I know Jared and I touched on this, uh, I think during our interview about a year ago or so when he was promoting his book, um, you know, the, Taproot Lore, um, what is the story behind Kevin Spacey, and how, are you pretty excited to finally kind of get it out there for fans to finally hear? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was a special one for sure. That was a song that we've played it live a couple of times, but it's it's one of those rare songs where I just I kind of couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I never even really tried attempting to write any lyrics to it. It just kind of, for some reason you know, whatever reason it was, it just didn't, it clicked with me. I loved the song, but it was just one of those things that I felt like a void, like someone else should be doing it. And, uh, it just so ended up being the, the only, uh, a tra- the only track and song, um, disc that, uh, was found in the unfortunate catching of Lane Staley from Nelson Chains' death. Um, I was about two days away from flying out to go see him with Toby Wright, our producer, who did, you know, the last three or four Alice in Chains albums, and he was, you know, going to take me up there because he knew he was, Lane was in a, in a bad, bad place, and so we were going to try to get him to maybe come out and do some do some work and maybe help the song out, and that's kind of probably why I left the void. Like, you know, just kind of felt like someone should be doing it, and, you know, we were just a hand grab away from having, you know, one of the, the best singers of our generation coming to do a, a, a guest spot on our record. But unfortunately he passed away, but his mom uh, called Toby like two days after they found him and asked who Taproot was because that was the only CD that was sitting on the coffee table when they, when Mike found him. Mike Star. <laughs> what? You know, obviously Lane Staley and, you know, Allison Chains and a lot of bands of that ilk are obviously very influential and legendary to a lot of us, either just being fans of music or inspiring musicians such as yourself. Yep. What, I mean, I, I can't even process what it would have been like knowing that potentially, you know, like someone that you, I'm, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but, you know, someone that maybe you idolized or grew up really appreciating what they do 
and so you know write a song that you can't figure out what you're where it needs to go lyrically maybe and you think mm-hmm. of this one person that you think will fit it and do it the song what it needs to do and to hear that they're at least interested in, in doing that like what, what does that feel like oh it was, it was amazing i mean like even before um I, like i grew up playing drums my whole life so all that mattered was you know like slayer and metallica and all the crazy blast beat stuff because i was a pretty damn good drummer for a long <laughs> time but uh allison shane's um the record dirt that was actually the first record i taught myself how to play guitar to oh wow. and that was you know even before i became you know got stuck singing <laughs> and then realized that lane and mike Patton and you know some of the other guys phil anselmo those guys would kind of steer me vocally where i wanted to go but uh like that record dirt for me like i didn't even know half the songs were about him you know doing drugs i just i learned the guitar parts and you know knew some of the words and just was playing guitar to it and then obviously as we progressed and started working with toby um who knew him very well um you know i, I kind of got more and more behind it and started figuring out more of the the cool harmony ideas and that's kind of what led us down a, a certain road to begin with and then we evolved from there you know, when when talking with Jared and with him talking about working with Toby Wright, I mean, you just said, you know, Toby was working on the last handful of Alice in Chains records uh, previous to working with you guys. And Jared kind of, you know, made no bones that uh, Toby kind of whipped him into shape. What did working with Toby, what was it like for you as the vocalist? Like, what you know, he's worked with a lot of great people. Was there anything that you were able to kind of take from him uh, in working with him uh, vocally? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. The first record we did, Gift, um, you know, that record was basically all the songs that we'd already had. We only wrote one new song for that record. All the other songs were songs that we had that helped get us signed to begin with. So uh, the second album, not just vocally, but as a band, was just, that's the wake-up call. Like, okay, like the record, first record was pretty damn solid. We did like 350,000, even with Napster coming out. <laughs> so, right. We, we we were pretty stoked, you know, that we still did that well, and you know, we're doing Ozfest and stuff like that. So, you know, we felt we hit a hit a major space. But meeting Toby and working with Toby, you know, was the first time that we ended up writing new material, and he was kind of the backbone of steering us and you know, letting us know what sucked and what was great. And then on a personal level, um, you know, as far as vocals go, he was the one to kind to try to get me to do more three-part harmonies. I was perfectly fine on the first one, you know, just doing lots of screams and some some harmonies here and there, but he was the one that was just kind of like, dude, I mean, <laughs> you got this. Like, you got the you got the skill and the right ideas. Let's just do some underlying stuff that people don't really hear anymore. So I started busting out the three-part harmonies, and I think that's probably one of the reasons that, like, Shinoda asked me to work on the uh, Linkin Park reanimation record was a uh, I think he had kind of the same idea. There was like a void missing that he knew that I could probably bring to the table. And once uh, he heard me write my three-part harmony fat song, he he was sold. And then uh, after recording that song, it ended up being the only song of the remix version that they performed live uh, consecutively. And uh, a singer from, uh, God, what's their name? I can't remember their name right now, but one of the good... European bands. Um, he was the guy that would do my parts live, so it was really cool to know um, that my song of all the songs was the one that they'd perform. No, I wish I could think of the right band name. They deserve. I mean, it's one of the best 
bands of that time. I just can't think of the name right now, of course. Happens in our old age. <laughs> right. In the old days, back in 2002 or whatever it was. With this whole B-Sides thing, I, I've kind of been thinking about this because with it being so career-spanning and, you know, demo songs, some stuff in, in various forms of production done... What are you most looking forward to hearing from the fans that get to hear this? Like, what do you think the reactions are going to be to some of these? Uh, well, I plan on a few hilarious bashings on how terrible some of this stuff is, and then a whole bunch of reactions like, why the hell didn't this song make the record? <laughs> why am I just now hearing this? Um, but, you know, I think it'll be all across the, uh, the entire gamut from good to bad. There might be people that are like, God, these guys are horrible or like Jesus Christ why aren't, why aren't they still doing stuff like it's amazing so I'm not sure what I expect but I, I just you know I think that the fans that obviously are willing to pay that much money to get that much material I think you know they're dedicated enough that they deserve to, to kind of know the, the whole uh, evolution it's kind of funny speaking to songs that you wonder why they weren't on the record I definitely gotta say stay away I was like why the fuck didn't this make it on Blue Sky Research <laughs> Right, me too. <laughs> unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, in some capacities, I was a little bit too uh, democratic with things, and certain, certain things went certain ways. But that's one of the songs I think that you know kind of needed to be there. We played it live a couple times for sure. But um, as you say, I noticed on uh, speaking of uh, "Stay Away," there's a really cool on the. I think it's on right before the first chorus. I think is where it is. There's like a really cool like drum hit like to accent and it's like pushed up in the mix and I thought it was a really cool like little and it doesn't come back at any other point in the song and so it kind of kept making me wonder if I was hearing shit and then as I just kept listening to the song I was like that's really cool like studio trick that they did like where you know it accents uh, I think like a, a vocal part too. And I was just like, oh, I love when bands like do something, but it's only that one time they don't bring it back around. So it really makes that part of the song really interesting. And again, right. to me, like that's like one of those things where it's like, oh, that would have been really cool on the record. Like, I don't know why I didn't make it on. Right. No, I hear you. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't even know for sure which part you're talking about, but I remember listening to that song the other day when Jared told me he was thinking about doing promotional videos, which is probably going to be it something that's happening very soon on YouTube just to kind of promote as well as, you know, release some of the material for people to get excited about. But listening to that song again, I was like, wow, like <laughs> how did this not make the record? And it was really good, you know, like I think the part you're talking about is just where we did like a couple bends on the guitar and then let Jared play for a minute and then just me screaming. Like, yeah. The, the stuff that I love. And, yeah, it was a... Uh... It's one of those things where the other, and I know this is probably a really weird question, but this is sometimes where my mind goes with these things. So, you know, with a song like uh, Stay Away or, you know, any of the songs that actually made it to the recording process but were left on the cutting room floor, do you guys own these songs out right now? Like, does, is there no. Because, uh, like, when you look at some of these songs and stuff like that, like I think about was like. Doesn't a label still technically own some of these in some way, shape, or form? But, I mean, I'm not trying to get into your guys' business, but, I mean, it's just in a day and age where 
you know, like Victory Records, for example, will hold on to whatever and then release a best of record after someone's left the label and they have all these extra songs that haven't seen the light of day because they technically own the masters and so forth. And, right. you know, the rights to these songs, it just kind of made me wonder, like, huh, like, it's kind of interesting that there's all this material and you guys are able to self-release it, especially with some of this stuff, you know, coming out, like being songs that were recorded for records and just not making it onto the record itself, that it would almost seem like there's some kind of weird legal loophole that would have to, you guys would have to work through to, to get these songs back, potentially. Yeah, there there is somewhat, and, you know, we're only about 90% sure that we're fine, but basically in the contract, <laughs> <laughs> in the contracts that we signed, there's something about if you get dropped from the label, ah. um, that basically they have the rights for 10 years after being dropped from the label. Right. So I, I think we're in the clear with uh, the material that was tracked for the companies that never made it. Um, but again, like, you know, probably 75, 80% of this material, even though it was written for, um, the, the label releases is still just the demos that, um, you know, I'd been working on, you know, before actually turning into a song, like even just slightly different versions, like I'm sure you'll hear obviously different version of poem, even though it's pretty much the same song. It's also structured differently, so it's not the same song, and it's not, um, you know, it wasn't recorded for the record. It was just a demo. So I'm pretty sure we're in the clear on all that. And uh, I think with the limited run that we're doing, I don't think anyone's going to want to come after us for a couple <laughs> thousand bucks. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's just a, a very kind of weird thing as I was thinking about it because it's like, you know, they obviously there are sunset clauses in, in contracts and so forth, but... I also know you hear too many stories where people are like, oh, man, the label fucked us. And even though we haven't been on that label for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, they're still, you know, yeah. if there's any money they could make off of us, they're <laughs> they're going to. Right. No, I, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to come after us for a couple thousand bucks. And at the end of the day, my, my favorite joke was that uh, when we were on Atlantic Records, that's the thing too, is we never got really flipped over by anyone. But uh, with Atlantic Records, my favorite joke that I used to make is, "Well, Tori Amos, at least Tori Amos got dropped before we did." <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. You know, I kind of wanted to, you know, shifting gears a little bit, but just kind of still speaking to Taproot's legacy and so forth. You know, you guys celebrated, uh, we're coming up on a year now uh, from when you guys did the 20 years of Taproot uh, in the Token Lounge. Right. I mean, that, that was that was a trip. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how was that? I mean, you you guys live streamed a good chunk of it. I know on Facebook, and you know, it seems like you know, because I ended up making it to the the gift uh, anniversary show you guys did at the machine shop, and oh, you know, it's just kind of it seems like you know, even if you guys exist only here locally in Michigan, it still seems like you know, you guys have a demand here locally to do stuff like does doing shows like that, like celebrating gifts, you know, doing the 20 years of taproot, does it kind of make you want to just maybe do like a yearly taproot show where you, you get to fuck around and play different stuff or even now with this besides, you know, thing coming out being like, eh, you know, like, I guess, you know, if people really want to hear stay away or maybe some of these other songs right. that we finish, like, fuck it. Like, let's just kind of do, let's just have fun. Like the whole reason you guys started doing the band in the first place. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's something that we could talk about. Obviously, the milestones were kind of a kick in the ass, whether it was the uh, 
15-year anniversary of uh, Welcome or the 20th of the band itself. Those were obvious, obvious, you know, things that we wanted to try to do, and it was, you know, kind of so last minute because we wanted to make the 20th anniversary happen, and I think we did it, what, Christmas Eve? <laughs> uh, the day before Christmas Eve, yeah, the 23rd. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that was kind of last-minute planning, but, you know, we we made it in the fiscal year. Um, <laughs> as far as future upcoming shows, um, like, we don't have any in the talks, but, I mean, that's what, you you know, you're right, maybe this whole besides thing might make us wanting to go play just a set of songs that we've never played live and or have only played a handful of times. Um, and then I'm currently working on some new material, Mm-hmm. slowly but surely i only get to work about five or six hours a week <laughs> in the studio but i've got the drums done and i'm halfway done with the bass and i've got probably 80 percent of the guitars done um so hopefully by the end of the year i'll have uh close to a new record to maybe get out there and promote as well we'll just have to see how that works but that could be some fun stuff to play live too um at the shows like you said you were at i think the uh machine shop shows we played one of my newer songs um no one else to blame i think we played it both nights and uh, i think you can see that one on youtube too but it's a it's just a good solid song and i'm pretty stoked about the new material actually it's a shame because most material i'm working on right now was what i had lined up for the next taproot record after the episode um but certain shit went down a certain way between certain people and then I just took the blame so whatever but I pretty much most of this stuff I'm working on was going to be the next Taproot record um, you know probably back in 2014 or 15 uh, managed with a couple couple more doozies to add on top <laughs> <laughs> you know it's kind of interesting I thought I had remembered you actually playing a uh, I thought I remembered you saying like this was a song that I wrote like for me um, when we saw you at that show, like the the song you were just talking about. And it made me wonder, you know, knowing and reading a lot about how the band works over the various years of, you know, guitar worlds and all that kind of stuff and interviews with you, obviously Taproot is the collection of people, but I think it's kind of fair to say that like, you know, with you being a multi instrumentalist that like Taproot indirectly kind of is you and with you being the voice is it because it made me wonder like you know if you're writing all this stuff and potentially you're going to play it out like would you would you try to get you know jared to play drums would you try to get the other dudes to kind of play along just because you you know that you know jamming with them works and it, it, they can get it or is it a thing where you want to try to separate you know Stephen richards like as the solo project thing or whatever the title for the project may be from taproot uh kind of both i mean with uh with the new stuff it was like all i mean a lot of the material i just did on my own demo sake and i'd present it to the guys and then they'd just play the way that they do and turn it you know into a band thing which was great but this was all stuff that i wrote alone to do the next tapper record on my own so i'm kind of just going through with it doing it on my own not for ego sake wise or you know comfort wise but we're still living in Ohio now and our current guitarist Dave living out in the Colorado. And then, you know, Dave is definitely a great drummer and lives down the road, but you know, he owns a business and he's busy all the time too. It's 
just kind of makes more sense for me. <laughs> I can only go in Friday mornings at like five in the morning until like 10 anyway. <laughs> right. So that's like the only time I can achieve or have time to do anything um, at all. So I wouldn't really be able to have a direction or say in what was going on if there was stuff going on without me. So I'm kind of just doing it the way that I hear it and the way that I want it. And it's going to be what it is. Hopefully people will like it if they ever finish it. But, you know, it's, it's once again, stuff that I wrote for the next separate record, plus a couple ended up making sure I had the, the go-to old-school gift-heavy type of song. And then I also wrote a song for my mom who passed away in 2015, which is, you know, more melodic and meaningful. <laughs> Would I mean obviously with with the landscape the way that it is and the music scene and and all that kind of music business as a whole, is this something as well you would probably maybe just play around regionally if you do maybe do a CD release show and that kind of be it or do you want to take it out to where you can kind of tour behind it and so forth? Uh, that would depend on the guy's schedules and who you know who I'd be working with. Um, you know it's. I'm still going to release it as Taproot because that's who it was written for. Um, but I'm also plan on calling it Scissors, which is just a, a dumb A. It's a lesbian term, which is, again, back to my stupid <laughs> puns. <laughs> but the, uh, the way that I spell it has my initials in it, um, Stephen Stupid, so it's SSR. Um, so I spell it the, the lesbian way of Scissors um, with my initials in it just to kind of show this me doing it kind of my way for myself and then uh, if it turns out uh, to get released and or is well received yeah definitely some shows here and there like you're saying the, the certain um, you know certain on or off dates you know just books maybe you know close by or random one-offs depending on where it would be in demand uh, we'll have to see but again that's kind of the stretch away and trying to trying to figure it out. I'd, I'd rather more so just you know have be people be able to hear it and you know like it or not. Just at least it's something that was supposed to be released for Taproot. And uh, you know again it's kind of continuing continuing what we have even though it's a, a little too late. <laughs> <laughs> you know something I, I thought was kind of interesting too is uh. You know, I ended up seeing you at that Deftone show that was at uh, was at Freedom Hill. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and uh, or, or whatever the smaller one is. Yeah, I it's basically like a small DTE, which I actually think I like that better than DTE because they oh, have yeah, the, the yeah. pit in the front. Yeah, no, yeah, it is Freedom Hill, yeah, that's right. Yes, it yeah. is there. Um, it was funny because my wife was like, "Holy shit, that looks like the singer of Taproot," and I like turn around and I was like, "Yeah, it is." <laughs> But do you, do you get out to many shows still? Because like a lot of a lot of band people I know typically if they're kind of burned out from going to shows, so it's one of those where I was kind of pleasantly surprised to see you out at a show, uh, and I didn't even know if you really go to shows very often anymore. Uh, well, especially well, honestly, no, I don't. <laughs> that was just uh, that was just one of those throwbacks that you know I could have easy access to, and you know they're by far one of my favorite bands. Um, so when they came through, and I knew you know we had the same management as them, so I kind of put the feelers out there, and you know scored some scored some free tickets, and kind of just wanted to take my wife out and do something different. And uh, she had a coworker that's like the biggest fan ever, and wanted to go see him, so we just decided to go. And of course, I 
wouldn't mind going because I love the dust tones. But uh, honestly, I think the last live show from another band that I ever saw, um, like a, of a national touring band, was probably Amir, and that would have been back in like 2010. Oh man, Amir's a really solid band. I like them. Yeah. Like, I, I literally, it's kind of a shame to say, but I'm just so burnt out. Like, I don't even listen to music at all, except the stuff I'm working on. I listen to, you know, like, the funny morning shows on, on the drive into work. And then <laughs> on the way home, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll just put on my stuff and critique it, see what I need to change when I go back in on that Friday at 5 in the morning. Yeah, I, uh, man. That's so much. <laughs> I'm just like thinking of the eight <laughs> eight CDs coming out uh, before the end of the year, and then potentially a, a new you know solo slash tap record coming out. It's like that's that's so much material to just drop on people. Right. But <laughs> it's like, hey, I know you hey. haven't heard from us in a while, but hey, here's like ten albums worth of material. Merry Christmas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, sure. Lastly, since you know we are on the eve of one of the bigger you know the big in-state rivalry game and. I believe you still live in Ann Arbor. <laughs> Who do you got for tomorrow? Uh, well, I, Michigan's been playing well, so I'd, I'd have to go with them. But I also have to uh, say that anything outside of the Chicago Blackhawks, I don't really care about sports. <laughs> 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 My old joke, which is you know actually kind of true, is that I don't support anything collegiate, college itself either. <laughs> right. Yeah, That's why I'm a forty-year-old douchebag making barely more than minimum wage. <laughs> it was funny because uh, Jared goes, "Oh, are you big into hockey?" And I go, "No, not really. I, I between baseball, football, and basketball, I was like, that's and then you know, podcast and music. Like that's, <laughs> I don't really have time for another sport to to like right. obsess over. And I was like, uh, yeah. all I know is that apparently the Red Wings are gonna suck for the next little bit. Although people seem to be excited because I think Yzerman's uh, coming back to potentially take over the GM duties. And I was like, I don't know what that's gonna do, but okay, <laughs> right. No, that's, I mean, honestly, the Red Wings are obviously a huge part of my life, and I've actually had some really, really cool um, kind of rubbing the elbows with those guys. Um, a buddy of mine that works at the Riff, um, Meltdown, he actually, real cool. It's a combo story of, you know, music and hockey since he was a DJ at a radio station, but um he actually got me into play a game since I grew up playing hockey my whole life. Um, I got to play a celebrity, um, what you call it, alumni game, and it was uh, at Ford Field. Oh, wow. The Frozen Four. Right. So I got to play in Ford Field, the football stadium, and got to play hockey. I even got an assist on Mickey Redmond, uh, <laughs> you know, Hall of Famer. I got, I got an assist on his goal, so that was pretty cool. And one of the coolest things I've ever got just for that slight minimal uh, celebrity help that <laughs> I could ever that I could ever pull or try to you know I'm just a I'm just a fucking douchebag who just does stuff on his own and then that came up so that was really cool too but I do care about the football um, I, I love the NFL it's just the the college stuff has grown on me actually since I got married three years ago. Um, my wife's family lives just down the road, so we do parking and stuff. So I'm near and around the the, the U of M games more often than I used to be. So I, I do have the games on, and I am rooting for them, I suppose. <laughs> um, but I, I don't keep track of like 
standings and or you know other conferences <laughs> right yeah no it was kind of funny getting to talk with uh, max cavalier the other day and he's a lions fan and so it was kind of fun to be like oh, how do you feel about the team this year and he's like well i think that we got some good pieces and blah blah, blah. and i'm like i can't believe i'm talking about the detroit lions with max cavalier because <laughs> like out of all the teams <laughs> yeah, you could pick it's like that's the you chose the lions <laughs> right and and you like football football not football that's yeah insane. yeah that's crazy I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he. Uh, it was funny because he was the tail end of it when we were talking. He goes, "Yeah, you know, I'm hoping uh, we're trying to find somebody within the organization that likes metal, so you know, we can try to you know hook something up." And I was just like, "Yeah, it'd be cool." Like, I, I don't know. Like, it seems like ho- actually, it seems like hockey players are the ones that like like metal and are are into that kind of shit. Like, I know like the Etid dudes were like uh, friends with what is his name, uh, Drew Stafford or whatever. Um, when right. he used to play for Buffalo and like, you see all these like hockey dudes hanging out with metal dudes all the time. So it seems like out of all the <laughs> sports, that's the, that and baseball are like the two that, uh, typically you'll find like your metal guys that are, you know, more apt to, you know, come hang out and go to shows and, and vice versa and have, you know, the band dudes come out to, to hockey games. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of my favorite, uh, things was, God, this was back in like 2005 on tour with the Sturt, but in the. Tampa Bay. I'm a huge hockey fights guy. Like growing up, I always collected tapes and recorded things and I'd write notes on every Saturday night when we'd watch Hockey Night in Canada, like who I thought would fight possibly and then I'd put check marks by it. Like so it was really cool. Um in Tampa Bay, uh, I got to meet Chris Dingman, who was a tough guy for um them in Colorado for a while and then uh just have a, a buddy that plays pro hockey in Europe. He's a taproot fan that was drafted by uh, Dallas. You know, obviously their local team back then was Kalamazoo. Right. Um, he's a he's a pro guy over in Europe and a tough guy. Um, so that was cool. And then, like, even at the game I got to play at Ford Field, I was sitting literally between Darren McCarty, who was also in a band, but Joe Kosher. So I'm, like, between two of the toughest guys to ever play the game. So, like, I've... I've Definitely got to see that, but unfortunately, though, too, with the hockey guys, there's a, there's a lot of country because, you know, the good old boys from outskirts in Canada. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny, um, and this will kind of be my last question before I have you, uh, you know, plug socials or, or whatever. Um, so today, a friend of mine randomly called me and asked me if I had photos from OzFest we went to uh, many years ago. And I was mm-hmm. like, dude, no, camera. <laughs> we didn't carry cameras and cell phone cameras didn't really exist back then. You know, but it, it no. kind of got me thinking to, you know, the various Ozfests and, and going to the show and just kind of how it, it was a, a very cultural, like a significant cultural thing if you were into metal, you know, at all, you know, going to Ozfest and seeing these bands and seeing, the, you know, the up and coming bands alongside the established acts and so forth. And it reminded yeah. me of the year you guys were on it because you got to play with the year that Pantera was on it. And yeah. You know, with the Vinnie Paul tribute that just happened at, uh, I think it was Aftershock Festival this past weekend or like last weekend or something, you know, it kind of made me think about, you know, I've always heard great stories. Like no one has ever had a bad story about the Abbott brothers or any of the dudes in Pantera, really. (laughs) And so it kind of made me wonder, like, what do you remember from that Ozfest? And and do you have any Pantera stories? Like, I mean, I don't I don't get to talk to many people who have actually gotten to meet them or do a tour with them that extensively. So, you know, what was kind of that experience like? Uh, oh, God, for us, or for me especially, like, I think uh, 
before getting to play with them or getting signed by any means, I think, um, like as a teenager, uh, I think I'd seen them probably 16 times live. They were like black oh, one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, so to know that, like, I think it was on day two or three of Ozfest, uh, Vinny, Paul, and I ended up, you know, daring a guy to do something, and you know, I wasn't as wealthy as him, so he paid seventy-five. <laughs> but I paid, I paid twenty-five. We gave it around hundred bucks uh, to a dude to eat some of Sharon Osbourne's dog's shit. <laughs> 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 he, he actually did it, and we called him Duty Rudy. And then now he's uh, he's been, like doing some pretty successful stuff in the music industry, I think. But um, yeah, he was just on tour for the Ozfest, you know, bus doing the, the kind of merch sales and that type of stuff. And Vinny and I, uh, you know, he did that. The coolest thing about Vinny was, uh, since he's kind of the most social one, um, he used to come to our shows in Vegas all the time and hang out. And, you know, we, we got to hang out with him a couple of times socially, not just because we were on tour with them. Uh, so he was a sweetheart. He was amazing. Um, as far as that stuff goes, you know, we got to go watch them every night <laughs> if we wanted to. You know, maybe we'd take a night off just because we were doing something else. But, hey, you want to go watch that Saturday night? Sure. And uh, it's really cool, too, because back then when the uh, when they'd play Walk, obviously, that's their go-to song for pretty much every fan, um, they'd let the, the other bands come up on stage and do the, the choruses with them on the side mic. So, you know, a couple times I went up there and sang with my idols. So. Definitely standout moments uh, from those guys, and you know, the the time in our career that was really important. So I'm pretty lucky, dude. And uh, one of the last weirder questions about that year too is, I know Tommy Lee's Methods of Mayhem was Methods of Mayhem was on that. Was Tommy like really out and about? Because I, I was just such a weird group, and I felt like it was a uh, for him trying to be obviously anti Motley Crue and, and kind of like being like, yeah, I'm just, you know, seemingly like, oh, I'm just, just a regular guy with this other band and so on and so forth. But I've never actually heard anyone right. talk about them being on that tour or how they were seemingly like they're yeah. almost for, as forgotten as the project itself, sadly. Like, so right. I kind of, do you have any stories of like, you know, cause Tommy Lee is, I mean, it's fucking Tommy Lee. So to me, right. like that would be right well, up there with the Pantera dudes. Right. No, fair enough. I mean, growing up, like as a kid, kid, Motley Crue was my favorite band. My Actually, my uh, my dad got me Nikki Six's autograph because he was my idol. It's weird as hell. But growing up as a young, young kid, Nikki Six and then John Taylor from Duran Duran, for some reason, were my <laughs> idols. So I don't know why I didn't end up playing bass. <laughs> right. Because I didn't know the difference at that time. But no, Nikki Six was like one of my biggest idols. And uh Obviously, I loved, you know, Motley Crue. Obviously, Tommy's involved because him and Nicky were kind of best buddies. And I used to watch their movies when I was way too young where they're banging chicks and shit. <laughs> but uh, it was it was kind of like what you're saying. Um, aside from going to watch him soundcheck and kind of, you know, just seeing him, I, I never once actually spoke to him or really even saw him around, which was kind of weird. Um but to negate that boring fact, it was kind of cool that at one point, um, Nikki Six's band Brides of Destruction opened for us. So oh, wow. So opened for us. <laughs> I haven't um, thought California. of that band in so long. <laughs> right, yeah. I didn't even know who they were at the time, but yeah, that was in uh, California. I think that might have actually been the day that we found out we were getting dropped, too. <laughs> <laughs> that my that my idol opened up for us, and then I found out we're getting dropped and a whole bunch of 
shenanigans ensued after that. Absolute last question. I'll have you plug your socials. You know, with besides being a, a B-sides sort of career retrospective in that sense, since it encompasses, you know, demos from all phases of the band. Looking right. back, what has been one of your proudest accomplishments uh, with Taproot? Uh, well, on a personal selfish level, um, growing up, like I always called Howard Stern my surrogate father, <laughs> which is probably crazy to a lot of people, especially nowadays, you know, younger people that don't know who he is, but he was a, you know, the lead of, you know, fuck the establishment type of mentality in the radio world. But, um, on a selfish personal note, um, it was kind of cool cause we got to meet basically he's been in like four or five different studios since you know being the howard stern not just a local guy right but i got to go to every single studio um in new york while we were on atlantic records um and then when we went to sirius we actually got to go visit sirius uh two or three times so i got to hang out with baba Bui, his producer uh i got to meet howard um he came to one of our shows with lincoln park Oh wow! Um, in in New York, so that was kind of a you know I knew not to bug him because I you know I didn't want to chat his ear off, but you know I just walked up to him, shook his hand, and I said you know thank you, my hero, you know have a great night. Um, but you know we got to I've been in all of his studios, um, you know got to hang out with people that I know from the show itself, uh, a whole bunch of the the wax pack and stuff like that. So that's like one of the selfish fun things um but honestly as far as the the career itself i guess just getting to know people and having people kind of explain you know like that we help them get through something um you know i mean i kind of just write about me and what i see and you know a lot of it's kind of on the you know darker end of things trying to find the positives and all that um, but knowing that, you know, fans or people that hear certain songs, you know, just let us know that, like, wow, you helped me through that time in my life or whatever. Um, for us, it wasn't about money or, you know, selling millions. Would have been great. Hey, cool. But, you know, we kept going even after the industry was bad and we were playing shows for 30 people at the end of our career some nights. Um, and, you know, that's, that's who we did it for, just the people that needed us and wanted us. And so that just is kind of gratifying at the end of the day. And I think, honestly, that's kind of what this whole decides as well as what I'm working on right now is just sort of the people that still care and, and or need us, you know? Yeah, most definitely. So where can people find you? I, actually, I don't think you have socials at all. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple. I have a couple. I just honestly don't know how I'd explain it. But I ha I do have a Facebook that I use just to promote the music stuff that I'm working on. Um, and I do have an Instagram to basically, well, I do some hockey and some goofy stuff on there too. But it's mostly just clips of me playing in the studio to promote the record. But either way, um, any way that you want to look it up, it's uh, I go by scissors, like I said, the lesbian term. <laughs> I lost my dot .com, by the way. Someone bought it, like, after my term ended up. I could uh, keep it at that point in time. And I'm like, man, I could sell this to a porn company for a lot of money. It's funny. But, uh, I was going to say, it's funny. Yeah. I was just talking to uh, John from Pitch Shifter, and he, we were talking about pitchshifter.com being 20 years old now. And he was like, <laughs> I actually, re not that long ago, he was like, I gave up the 
the domain name because I was just like, oh, right. I, you know, the band's done. We're not doing anything with it. Like, I'll finally get rid of it. And he goes, which sucks now because it would be great to have the domain name now. And uh, he goes, but now right. it's like it sells like Japanese like kids underwear or something. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that's kill- – oh, there we go. That's what it is. Blindside before I forget. Just oh, my God. I fucking love that band. I almost said them, but I wasn't sure if it was the right time period. Okay. Well, earlier in the podcast when I was talking about uh, Lincoln Park continuing to play my version of the record, and that was the only song that they kept continuing to play live, it was Christian from Blindside doing my parts. And, uh, yeah, the weird thing is it's because I couldn't get pitch shifted out of my head and like instantly like, no, 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 it was some band, you're a pitch shifter. <laughs> no, not pitch shifter. And then blindside yeah so it was blindside that did that so it's cool that you rang that memory but very serendipitous um, yeah at the end of the day if you give a flying fuck and or want to see what's going on in my life or the future taproot life if it decides and or my new project um you can just find me like i said the spelling of lesbian scissors it's s-c-i-s-s-r-s and i'm sure you know google or something can be really easy to money yeah, Google scissors. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they kind of just guide you the right way. But yeah, I do. I do. I do have an Instagram and a Facebook under the guise of scissors. S C I S S R S. Thank you again for taking the time to do this. And again, uh, besides comes out uh, if you pre-order. The pre-orders are up now. You can pre-order until November second, and you should have it by Christmas. So go ahead and check that out. Eight discs. I think the it's fifty bucks. I believe, which is more than fair for the amount of quality and quantity of music that you are getting 49.95 ah, yeah okay we got that uh that good marketing schedule <laughs> right. all right well thank you again and uh look forward to hopefully seeing that solo project coming out too at the end of the year oh dude i appreciate it and thank you for your time so that was my conversation with Stephen richards from taproot uh dan couldn't make that one again i had to pull some uh husbandly duties that day uh sadly he couldn't be a part of that but uh as always i sent it to him when i was done so dan what did you think of that conversation it's a good combo man that was kind of cool to get uh to, to get a different perspective on things and uh it sounds like uh there's some cool stuff coming up too yeah i was kind of pleasantly surprised to find that out i mean i know i don't know if jared had said this to you guys when you guys were talking um all a while back but i know when him and i had had done our episode on here uh he had mentioned that steven was working on a solo record uh because i had said something about maybe getting steven on down the line and you know had mentioned that he was working on a solo record probably would be ready by the end of this year and uh to go from there so it was kind of interesting to hear that apparently this solo record is basically going to be the new taproot yeah it's going to be interesting to see how that sounds in comparison to their other uh, material. However, I mean, you know, when I made the comment without even knowing that this was how this song was written, but, you know, when I made the comment about mine uh, and he say, him saying that basically that was one of the few songs that he really didn't have a hand in writing musically, it kind of made me feel like, all right, well, there's it kind of makes sense because that song doesn't really sound like a lot of the other Taproot songs, which kind of makes sense if he didn't have really any hand in writing it. And so if that's the case, then I feel like maybe this quote-unquote solo record is going to be more in line with Taproot than maybe most people would probably think. Yeah, I mean, when it's coming from the man himself, you know, it, it's going to it's gonna have similarities at the very least. 
Right. And that that was the other thing, too, that I wanted to bring up. Because, I mean, it's like inevitably people are only going to compare it to Taproot anyway, since he is the, the voice of Taproot. Yeah, I wonder if he's going to bust out any of those six screams like he used to do. <laughs> I don't know. It made it sound like there was going to be some pretty brutal songs. Um, I mean, I, I can't. You know, it's kind of funny. I think he said the song about his mom was kind of more on the, the mellower side, but I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, if I lost my mom, I'd probably would scream a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's, one, that's the thing that I love about his voice the most, man, is that raspy scream. You know how I am with raspy screams. So, uh, you know, it really uh, it really makes it, I don't know, it really makes it awesome. And I, I, I hope to hear more of that, but uh, I, I, I'm totally happy with, with the stuff that they've that they've done since then yeah i uh i'm looking forward to seeing what a new record entails uh either for steven and or the the group of taproot um if it means they'll kind of be playing some one-off shows here and there and you know kind of do like what some of these other bands have been doing that are in their boat where it's just not feasible to be gone long long periods of time so you just gotta you know like kind of like an 18 visions like all right we gotta ask to play this festival we're gonna play this festival Hey, we're gonna go do two, three dates out on the West Coast. All right, we're gonna go do those, and then maybe some on the East Coast. And you, you know, you either make the trek to go see them, or or you don't. But I think, I think the band, you know, having seen them recently in the last, you know, couple of years, the band still got it. I mean, the songs still work live, and they still sound great, and people seemingly still connect with them. So I can't really imagine they're not being a demand for seeing this band in some some entity but you know sort of like steven brought up you know toward the end of their touring history you know they were playing to 20 30 people and at the end of the day you can't really sustain a career uh or your family life home life you know having 20 30 people show up right yeah that's uh that's a little rough that's that's like my that's like my uh music history in a nutshell Except, you know, the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I also thought it was really interesting, uh, that whole story about the Lane Staley song, you know, with uh, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, that was intense. And I think uh, I think that Jared mentioned that in his book as well, the True Rockstars book. Yeah. But that's just crazy, that knowing that the last thing that he listened to was Taproot. It's fucking insane. I, I couldn't I imagine. I assume he listened to it. Well, I mean, like like uh, Steven said, his his mom reached out to Toby, and Toby Wright, and was like, "Who is Taproot?" Because that's what he was listening. That's what we found that he was listening to. You know, when we went and found the body, and wow. I mean, that's just oh man, like that's just so fucking wild. Like you know, to think about the fact that you know you're writing a song, and it, and I think the thing that's kind of interesting to me, and and I, you know. I'm going to say this uh, and put the caveat on it that, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I, I think there are th things that are kind of outside of the realm of explanation at times. Um, take away with that as you will. But the thing that's crazy to me is obviously with this besides collection, obviously with the body of work that Stephen has put out in Taproot over the years and, you know, working with people like Lincoln Park and so forth. Dude's not short on creative ideas for lyrics or, you know, stuff for songs. So the fact that he had the song and just kind of really couldn't figure out what to do with it and felt like it was a vehicle for Lane Staley um, is incredible. And, you know, it's it's kind of sad. Um, you know, in the day and age right now with this whole 
Bad Wolves thing with the cover of Cranberries, that Cranberry song, doing for them what it did. You know, I, I couldn't help when he couldn't help but think as he was telling me that story about how thinking like, oh, what if he had been able to get some vocals done or some scratch vocals or whatever? Because I mean, to me, it's like, would that have put more of a light on Taproot that I, I kind of felt like they deserved because they, I felt like they were always kind of overshadowed. Like, you know, like that story Jared told us about like, oh, we were going out on tour with Papa Roach. We both had records coming out. Well, except for halfway through, you know, we were supposed to be a co-headlining. We've alternated who, who, you know, headlines, which date. And then Infest came out and just started blowing us out of the water. So then it became de facto their headlining tour. Um, and it just, you know, shit like that happens and I, and I get it, but it makes me wonder like, you know, if, if Lane would have been able to get some vocals down or, you know, would have been able to actually get vocals and they would have been re able to release it with him on there. If it would have helped propel Taproot to the level that, you know, maybe they should have been at the whole time. But yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how that, how that went down with the Papa Roach thing. It's so funny too, because in the book he even says like, it's, we're all adults now, you know, we got over it, you know, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> he's like but at the time we were he's, he's like we weren't even mad at the band we were just more mad at the at the people that booked the tour but like that's such a big deal too like because i i seem to remember in a similar story with lincoln park and hybrid theory how they started off opening up they started opening up on a tour and then by the end of the tour they were the headliners right <laughs> Yeah, so if uh, you would like to pick up this uh, collection, you can go pre-order the record over at squareup.com slash store slash true rock stars. That's all one word. T-R-U-E-R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-S. Uh, if you go to the Facebook links, you'll find that for pre-orders. Uh, apparently, if you order up to November 2nd, you will receive this uh, B-Sides besides, uh, box set basically before Christmas. Uh, and I think at forty nine ninety five, not fifty dollars, forty nine ninety five. Uh, I think it's a pretty good bargain for eight discs. And uh, you know, hopefully, we will see the band. You know, end up uh, maybe doing a yearly show at least here in Michigan for for me since I live here. <laughs> so right. Officially, I could go see this band play. Um, but yeah, go support the guys. Uh, this is a really cool product. I think, uh, like I said, I think it's a very reasonable price for the product you're getting. Uh, and I'm very interested to see uh, how they end up doing this. And uh, and if you want to keep up with Taproot, you can follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Taproot Music. Twitter is at Follow Taproot. And if you'd like to keep up with Steven, uh, you can basically find him on Instagram at S-C-I-S-S-R-S, Scissors. Uh, pretty easy to remember. And Dan, how can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. You can find me on Facebook under Daniel Terry. And you can find my other podcast at DiscussMetal.com. And if you would like to keep all, and if you would like to keep up with all things the podcast, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at John's Entitled Podcast. Tweet at us at John's Entitled Pod, and email us at John's Entitled Pod at gmail.com. If you would also like to sponsor an episode, please email us at John's Entitled Pod at gmail.com. We can uh, get that squared away. And if you would like to support us monetarily, there is Patreon. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash John's Entitled Podcast. And Dan is going to talk about how you can support the podcast non-monetarily by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Rating, reviewing, and subscribing is the lifeblood of podcasts. It's kind of like what we're after. I mean, to a certain extent, we're after money, but not really. We, we just want you guys to be engaged and entertained in order for us to engage and entertain you on a greater level than we are currently. We just need you to hit that rate button 
and uh, leave us a rating, five-star preferred. Uh, leave us whatever kind of rating that you think that we deserve, and uh, that helps us uh, That helps us come up in search results. That helps us get exposed to other people. And if you would like to keep up with our partners over at Moshpit Nation, you can over at MoshPitNation.com. Facebook is MoshPit Nation West Capital MI. Twitter and Instagram are simply MoshPit Nation. And if you would like to keep up with our show sponsored, The Bean Bastard, you can over at TheBeanBastard.com. Facebook and Instagram are simply The Bean Bastard. Keep up with all things going on over there. And if you are in the Buffalo area, and I know it's getting colder out there, go find The Bean Bastard, uh, The Bean Mobile, and get you some delicious coffee and... Uh, support uh support people who support us and and kind of setting this interview up jared actually uh did a really awesome thing and gave us a song off of the besides collection to premiere on this podcast um and he wanted me to play except i love you and i think this is a really interesting song i think out of the four that he gave us this this and uh stay away i think this is the other song that i was really like out of the couple that i got sent the one i felt most strongly about hearing initially you know as far as it being done having you know lyrics and vocals and all that kind of stuff and uh yeah so i want to thank jared a for setting this up uh with steven and secondly for allowing us to premiere a track because dude definitely didn't need to do that and uh hopefully for the taproot fans who may be listening to this whole thing uh solely for to hear this song hopefully you enjoyed what you heard the interview uh, and everything and if uh, you liked it, go back and listen to my episode with Jared Montague. I think that was really good as well. Uh, you know, we're basically covering his uh, True Rockstars book, uh, which is still up for order now. So, again, go to – I'm sure if you go to the Taproot page, you can find True Rockstars book somewhere. Uh, and if you would like to hear Jared on discography discussion, go check out that episode as well. Um, nothing but love for the Taproot guys here, and we support them because they support us over here. And give us cool content to share with you guys, the listeners. So, uh, without further ado, this is Taproot. Except I love you. And we will be back next Sunday with Bjorn Strid of the Night Flight Orchestra slash Soil Work. Talk to you then. Everything I ever said was true. Everything except that I love you.
Oh, 